Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Gail Sylvia, and you are listening to sylviaglobal.com. Joining us today is uh, an exciting, uh, two exciting guests, and we're excited about having them with us because they are introducing a new conversation to the world around wealth and money. Um, the first guest, most of you are familiar with, we've been getting incredible feedback from, on her conversations and interviews, and that's Emily Bouchard. Emily Bouchard is the managing partner of Wealth Legacy Group and is proficient in understanding the impact of wealth on women and their intimate relationships. Joining us also is her partner, Dr. Jamie Traeger Mooney, and Um, Jamie is the founding principal of Wealth Legacy Groups who specializes in wealth psychology and family systems. Her area of expertise is the emotional impact of wealth on inheritors, women, and couples. Jamie is um, coming to us from Israel today in Modin, and Modin is a is halfway between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, and Emily is here in north of San Francisco in Northern California, Marin. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us on Sylvia Global. How are you? Delighted We're to be here. Thank you. you know, I'm, we've been preparing for this conversation for a few weeks now, and leading up to it have been two individual conversations with Jamie, excuse me, with Emily about the work that she's doing and her background as, you know, with her MSW and then how that evolved into working with families and around wealth and the emotional impacts on the other dimensions of wealth that are associated with money. And Jamie, we're so glad that now we have you as a part of the the team here that we can connect for our audience, the work that you're doing through the Wealth Legacy Group and how we're going to bring some added value to Sylvia Global through that partnership. So thank you very much, Jamie, for being here today. Thank you. Yeah. You know, um, Emily, when we left off with our last conversation, there were quite a few questions that came in that might be a good place to pick up and give Jamie a chance to to chime in on the importance of the work that you are both doing with the Wealth Legacy Group. One of those questions was, how do conversations tend to differ around money and wealth between men and women? That's such a great way to start off this conversation. Thank you, because one of the things that Jamie and I are really excited about in terms of doing this with you especially is 
having a highly interactive and engaging uh, conversation that really meets uh, the needs of the listeners that you're serving. And to know that we have questions that are already coming in is really thrilling. Um, Jamie, do you want to speak a little bit into that question first, and then I can chime in? Absolutely. First of all, we're so delighted. And already, you know, to reiterate what Emily said, it already shows a level of sophistication from listeners that they're even recognizing that there is a difference. So many people, I used to work with Wells Fargo in their multifamily office, and so many advisors would just have sort of a one-size-fits-all conversation with everybody. And it really isn't the same conversation. Men and women do not approach the world in the same ways. Our, our brains are built differently, and um, in terms of the way that we're raised, it's very different. So men tend to be action-oriented. They want to get down to business right away. They want to see the bottom line, really talk about the quality quantitative aspects, whereas women want to contextualize things. They want to see a broader context in which to have the conversation about wealth and to look at how it's impacting them and the lives of their family. So for a woman, you would probably want to be having a conversation about what their vision is with wealth, what their goals are with wealth some of the stories from their past that help to elucidate those things. And with a man, you might want to have more of a nuts and bolts kind of conversation. Now, again, these are pretty pretty broad generalizations, but they give people a jumping off place to start the conversation. Yeah. Well, Definitely having, the, having um, the whole key in terms of relevance is really important. Um the women we work with care deeply about their families, care deeply about the impact of the wealth on their children, on future generations, and uh, they want to build their competence and skill in having these conversations. And, um, you know, advisors would be really wise to connect with uh, the women they work with around what matters most to them. And any time that they're talking with them about money or decision-making, to definitely connect it back to what really matters to those women and the stories that matters to them. How are most money managers trained and financial advisors trained? Because my experience has been that uh, there is, as Jamie described, that kind of one-shoe-size or one-size-fits-all mentality. And then um, there's also a different mentality that I've experienced personally um, in my own search for the kinds of services and conversations that you're going to be bringing to help our listeners and that is, um, you know, uh, there's still not, it is improving, but there's still not this 100% comfort level with the fact that women um, control the wealth if there is a man in the picture. You know, there's still this sense, of, you know, I had one advisor ask me, you know, well, you know, I'll be in my office waiting until your husband arrives. You know, so it's like, <laughs> Well, he's not going to be here today, so we can go ahead and just start. You know, um, so I, I see that you know we're making progress in one way, but we still have quite a ways to go, even fundamentally with the training of financial advisors. Do you can you speak to that for us about how they your experience in terms of how their training could be different and any experiences that you have in that area? Well, Jamie Absolutely. definitely takes the lead with that one. 
Yes, I, you know, I did a lot of work with advisors to look at not only what gender the person is that they're speaking to, but to really listen. I think sometimes people feel like they want to come in and prove, let me show you what I can do for you. Let me tell you all the great services that we have and, you know, tell you all the different ways that we might be useful to you. And what we really work with advisors around is slowing down asking questions, getting to know the person in front of you as a unique individual, looking them in the eye, finding out what's important to them, and then listening how, based on what their interests and concerns and needs are, how the services that they bring might uniquely benefit them. And what's amazing is that people find that when they're able to do that, it's so much easier because so many times advisors will be nervous about going in and pitching to the client. And when they realize what they needed to do was really to connect to the person sitting in front of them and to listen. And then from that listening to speak into what they do, it, it's a much easier process. And the person sitting across from them feels much more heard, seen, and understood. And, you know, in terms of your your story right there, Gail, Sylvia is one that many women could totally relate to. And one of the things that when we're working with advisors on how to work best with whoever their clients are is to be extraordinarily respectful and meet that person exactly where they are. So, you know, if we'd trained that advisor, he more, would have been more likely to have looked at you and said, okay, you're here, you're right here on time, your husband's not here. Help me understand what it is that you want to accomplish and what the two of you want to accomplish and how can I best be of your service to you right now. Mm-hmm. And he would have had a client for life if he had just shown exactly. up as honoring you and respecting you for who you are and what you care about. And then his role, or you know, if it's a woman who's the advisor, their role is to communicate with you effectively in a way where you really understand it. So we often remark that they should slow down when they are giving information and data, and they should check for your understanding and have you share with them what you see that you're getting, what it is that you're confused about, and making it very safe and comfortable to be able to ask any question, you know, where the only question that's a stupid question is the one that's not asked, Mm -hmm. you know, where somebody really feels that level of trust. Talk about um, some of the taboos that are associated with the subject of money and wealth and how we'll be able to explore those because it seems to me that in order to be very effective in our mission for the audience of Sylvia Global, we need to help them understand what some of the taboos are and along with other issues and then equip them to be able to go in and meet with advisors and to know for themselves um, what you just said, Emily, what exactly the most effective approaches should be that would satisfy them as a client. Oh, Jamie, I'd love for you to speak with this because, you know, you. this, I think, is the most passionate part of why you even started this company. <laughs> so I'd love for you to share a little bit about it first. Thank you. Yes, I think that um, money is one of our biggest efforts, and certainly wealth. I can't tell you how many clients have come in, particularly inheritors, 
and we speak about the experience of coming out to their friends as inheritors as being somewhat similar to the process that um, gay and lesbian people face when they're coming out and announcing, you know, their their uh, choices. And it's, it, it's tremendous. We believe that anything that isn't talked about has the opportunity to really get kind of squirrely. It's like the dust under the rug that just accumulates and accumulates and turns into something completely different than if you had just swept it away. So we believe that conversations about everything, no matter what it is, is really important. Then you get an opportunity to look at what's there and move from a position of knowledge. Um, sometimes you see with our clients of a deck of a hand of cards that you would never think of playing a hand of cards in a card game, leaving your cards face down. You would always turn them over, see what cards are there, and then decide which ones to throw out, which ones to keep, how to strategically move. Well, if you don't look at the taboo subjects and you don't want to explore certain things, it's really the same as keeping your cards down and still playing them. They're still the same cards, and they still affect you, but you aren't using your knowledge to, to think how to, to work in the best way. Jamie, what are three examples of taboo subjects? Um, I think three great examples are being an inheritor. How is the money going to get passed down is another big taboo subject. When is the money going to get passed down? How much money? Really having clarity of what might be being passed down. And even talking about what we make. Or, you know, I, I remember asking a, call, a friend growing up, you know, she was out of school far before I was, and I said, oh, how much do you make? It's a friend. We talked about everything together. But as soon as I asked her how much she made, she was highly insulted. That was not a subject we could talk about. So, you know, I think there's a lot of mystery and intrigue about the things that we don't talk about. How did you, handle, how you, did you respond up, to that? How, how did you handle um, that? Because obviously for you, you know, you didn't realize that it was a sensitive or a taboo area that by stepping into that, um, you know, space in her life, um, how did you react and handle her response? I responded with curiosity. Um, you know, I said, I'm sorry, it sounds like I asked you a, a question you're uncomfortable with. And I'm curious what about the question was made you feel uncomfortable. And we had a fabulous discussion about um, what or what she felt earning met in, in terms of who she was and what it said about her self-worth and, you know, what it was for me not being in the world yet of earning and being curious about what people my age who, you know, weren't going on for graduate school were making. So it really opened up a much broader conversation. And I think we both giggled a little afterwards because um, once the monster was out of the closet, so to speak, it, it wasn't that big a deal. It was sort of just the getting caught in our automatic thought of, oh, don't ask me that. That's not appropriate. It is, it's learned behavior, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's, it's um, cultural. And, oh, I'm sorry. 
Go ahead, Emily. It's, it's cultural as well. I mean, it's really quite fascinating because if you were in China and you had that same conversation, that would have been the easiest part of the conversation. But if you had, you know, people ask each other and talk about how much they make very easily in China. But if they, you went into the other part of that conversation and, and were curious about the person and their feelings related to it, that's when it would be much more hesitant and, and more taboo. So we also are very aware of the cross-cultural differences in terms of this conversation. And I think the other one that we see a lot is um, when do you speak about your inheritance or your wealth when you are dating and when you have a partnership and especially around when the prenup comes forward. Uh, These are extraordinarily emotionally loaded and and very confusing areas for people that we help them navigate to. I'm so glad. Yeah, we're going to. We will definitely be coming back to discussions about prenups and postnups and um, how emotionally charged and also you know how to discharge um, the tension associated with those conversations. But I'm really glad, Emily, right now that you brought up the cross-cultural component because being a global broadcast, inevitably, there are different cultural components and associated with wealth and with money and discussions around money. So, Jamie, I'd like to, you know, keeping that cross-cultural component in mind, uh, it's my understanding you were also one of the first psychologists that was ever hired as an employee of a bank to work with their clients. What was the rationale behind that, and has that changed in the banking industry? Are there now more psychologists within institutions? And if so, how do clients connect with them, or do they? Are they just internally utilized for the training of the advisors? Well, it's funny that this uh, question follows on the heels of cross-cultural divides because uh, as a psychologist going into work at a bank, that was certainly a different culture for me as well. And I always used to laugh in the elevator when people asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a psychologist. And they looked at me so blankly, like, what was I doing in the bank? So um, I was, as far as I know, the first psychologist ever to be hired in a bank to work with their clients. And the rationale was that to have sustainable planning, you really need to underlay the quantitative planning with a qualitative foundation. So it's very analogous to building a house. You wouldn't just want to build a house right on whatever kind of soil you have. First, you lay down a foundation so that you know it's solid, and then you build the house on top of that. So I worked with clients, multi-generational clients, looking at articulating and concretizing their values, how to... um, develop a shared vision for the future of what they want to do with their plan, with their wealth plan. We sort of talked about a wealth plan in an analogous way to a business plan with mission and vision and goals. And then we looked at the present of how do you start to take actionable steps to really um, use your financial resources in service of the goals and the vision that you develop. And once that foundation was developed, the qualitative, excuse me, the quantitative people had so much more of an easier time developing and tailoring a plan that perfectly met the family's needs. So you took, um, within that institution, you were able to take the values, the vision, 
of high net worth clients, you know, 50 million plus, and leveraged their wealth so that they could fulfill their own goals. And then you're bringing those same tools and techniques and that information to the Sylvia Global audience over the next several months. So this is quite an honor and an incredible resource that generally would not be made available on such a general basis. It's it's not something that you can just walk into your local branch and ask, you know, and expect to be understood. Absolutely. And Emily and I have a real commitment to bringing this conversation to a global level. It's part of what we love about our um you know, uh, business that is partially in Israel and partially in the States, that we're really able to open up a bigger conversation and redefine what wealth is from something that's just a financial resource to something that's much larger. How do you define that now? How would re- How are you redefining wealth? Emily, would you like to speak into that? Because that is a great we, – we both have our areas, and I know that this is a huge passion of Emily's. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, it's something that is so such a beautiful fit with what um, you are up to with Sylvia Global. And it has to do with um, this whole concept of how do you lead a truly rich life and how do you tap into wh- what it means to truly be wealthy. And so often we get lost in wealth being synonymous with money and how much money we have and how much money is in our bank account and our assets. And that is one one component of wealth in our lives, of which there are many. And we've developed a um, a model for helping people understand uh, how the flow of true wealth uh, happens and um, moves throughout their life in all the different dimensions of life. And so it's broken down into two aspects. And the first one is being well. So if you're not well within yourself, no matter how much money you have, you're not going to be wealthy. You're actually going to be quite deprived and depleted. And so we look at that from the physical health. Um, you know, you had that whole section on health, Sylvia, which I love. And it's the physical health, the emotional health, the um, intellectual, um, mental health of somebody. And then also uh, what you call faith, we bring forward in terms of a spiritual component, in terms of, well, how is somebody connected to what really is bigger and larger for them that brings meaning to themselves, their life, and their purpose and their their actions. And the other half is well-being. So when we come from a place of being well and we're really sourced internally, we have that much more to give externally in terms of um, our accomplishments via business and philanthropy, uh, our leadership in terms of uh, following our calling or our passion, and it might be as big as politics, which I know you are really passionate about, <laughs> and um, it may be, have to do with the entertainment industry or fashion or whatever it might be, but how is it that you are making your mark on the world? And then also our relationships, our um, love and partnerships, our families, our community, with the idea of it being a ripple effect. And then financial wealth and financial sustainability is one component of that well-being, but it's not the overarching component. And uh, when you bring all of these together, you look at, wow, where am I really flowing effortlessly 
and where are there some kinks in the flow? Where is there some something that's not getting sourced as well as it should? And just like you know, when we um, have something too tight, and all of a sudden our maybe our fingers go a little numb, and it brings awareness to the fact that oh, blood flow has been constricted. We need to make sure in our lives where are we constricting the flow of abundance and wealth in our lives. And maybe it's within our physical health. Maybe it's in our relationships. Maybe our financial well-being does need to be looked at and not neglected or just um, hope that it's taken care of. You know, So it's really looking at all these different components of our lives. And then I'd love for Jamie to step in because she's um, a great spokesperson in terms of the for the sake of what? Why are we even caring about this flow of wealth in our lives? And it's, um, it's shifting the whole relationship we have to our wealth. Jamie, can you speak? Can you add into that what Emily just said? I'd be happy to. I was jumping right in there. I get excited about this because it really is so um, so close to our hearts and what we feel is our calling. The idea is just like I described before with the foundation of a house. If we have a foundation that we're working towards, or as Emily said, for the sake of what. When things get challenging, when things get difficult, when we hit up against obstacles, we're still able to come back to why am I doing this? What's my purpose? How do I feel fulfilled? And that really anchors all the other pieces to allow people to lead a rich life and to have the true wealth, as Emily spoke about, flow effortlessly between and amongst so that keeps increasing the various levels um, without that end goal or that end vision in mind. It's not necessary that you even reach that, but that it's, it's what, um, again, really anchors you. Without having that anchor, we tend to get off course because we learn something new and we get distracted and we move to another thing or we decide that we're going to focus on something else for a while Having that for the sake of what really helps to keep us grounded and centered in our life. You know, also emphasizing, too, what em, uh, something that Emily just said, and that's something bigger than ourselves. You know, I find that when we just are focused solely on ourselves, you know, that we lose sight of the bigger, you know, the good that's around us in so many ways and so many other facets of our life, and that it's important to nurture and understand what our self-needs are, but to realize that that's not the stopping point. You know, that we can, uh, that by understanding our place and our capabilities of perpetuating good beyond just ourselves creating that legacy, that's why I love the title of your company, Wealth Legacy Group, is um, very important in that that legacy um, of self, that legacy of well-being, that legacy of of health and faith and leadership and philanthropy, all these dimensions of our lives are a part of how we manage and influence the use of our money and the message that gets carried on to the next generation. Uh, I think that you know this is a, an important. Um, conversation globally to have 
people give you know have access to and I'm so excited and glad that the two of you are here to guide us through this and to bring the wealth of knowledge and tools and experience that you have to to ground us in a healthier way around creating wealth legacies. Well, I I love what you just said there um uh, because not only is it so important to really tap into giving back into something bigger, it also, research has shown, takes care of our being well. It's actually quite a selfish thing. Uh, our physiology improves, our mental health improves, our emotional health improves as we give back and that they feel connected to something and that we really are um, making a difference. And there's been a lot of research around it in terms of physiology of giving, in terms of, um, and I'm sure you're aware of it, with uh, Women Moving Millions, um, that there's a lot of benefit personally and for our families um, and for our communities as we give back in ways far beyond whatever we're actually giving to. It, it can, um, I'd like to back up a little bit. I think I missed a step here that I want to make sure that our audience um, is able to hear from you directly, um, both of you to speak to directly. And that is, Jamie, why this work? How did you come into this area? Was it conversations like the one you shared with your, you know, uh, such a close girlfriend and then you saw her reaction that caused you curiosity, you know, to be curious and ask further questions about her own taboos associated with money? Why did, how did you step into this arena and why? Oh, what a great question. Yes, I am a complete um, product of my upbringing. I am um, second generation in a family business and a stakeholder in that business. My father started the business. Um, my my husband, my sister, and now my brother have all worked in the business. Um, and my mother's a psychologist. And so I followed her path, but I was also very curious um, and had tracked all along. We were always a, a very open family about money, and yet I was always curious about the conversations that weren't had or the difficulties or the way that growing up in a wealthy family impacted me and that I didn't really have opportunities to speak about openly or comfortably and to explore. So when I got to psychology, I thought, you know, one of the things, the ways that I saw myself as being serviced to other people was to provide an opening for conversations that aren't normally there. And so frequently, in fact, I would say 90% of my clients in about the first 20 minutes of seeing them will say, I'm so glad I found you guys because I have nowhere else to have these conversations. And um, they're so important, you know. Families of wealth are connected in so many interconnected ways. You know, we're in, just in my family alone, we have a operating family business, we have a family limited partnership, we have a family foundation, and we're a family. So we have so many different hats that we're wearing at different times, and we have to really be clear about which hat we're wearing when we have different conversations. Um, so. You know, I, th I think that who I am and, and the work that I'm doing and the calling that I feel um, is really an outgrowth. And you and I are going to have a conversation shortly that will also talk about how 
Um, as a result of doing this work, I took a very different uh, path in my life than I had thought I would. Um, yeah, that's, uh, so I'll, I'll put that out as a Yeah, that's, that's going to be a great conversation as well to introduce the audience to you, more of you, and how life has its way of taking us in directions that we didn't anticipate. And as long as we're willing to ride with it and enjoy the flow of it instead of always resisting and fighting change, you know, we open ourselves to so much good to come our way and, and, and new adventures in life. So uh, I want to ask you a question, Jamie, about what you just said and all the different hats that your family members have to wear being in business together. How did your parents, or did was it your parents, help you to identify the appropriate hat for the appropriate conversations and times? That's a great question. Um, I think there was a lot of permission to speak openly. There was a lot of transparency in our family about um, the money, a lot of transparency by my parents about what they were thinking in our future. Um, and some of it we just ha- had to experience and sort of bumble our way through because at the time there weren't so many people working in this field. Um, you know, now it, going back to a question you had asked me earlier, there there are more people, although it still is very much a burgeoning field, and, you know, there are more people even working in a bank that have the psychological background to have these more holistic, qualitative conversations. But, again, it's still a very burgeoning field. And oftentimes families don't know how to have those conversations because, you know, if my father's the boss and he needs to say something to my husband, for instance, about perhaps he isn't performing well, you have to be really careful. You can see how it could get sticky. You know, is he wearing his boss hat? Is he wearing his father-in-law hat? Is he wearing his, you know, friend and colleague hat? So um, I had a firsthand experience and continue to have a firsthand experience to see and to test things out. My my family is very willing to be uh, the guinea pigs and to be open to having more open um, and flowing conversations about money and wealth. Do most of these conversations take place within the second generation or third generations of of wealth? Oh, that is a great question. Uh, and Jamie can speak into this because the third generation, and, and we're actually speaking about from the time that um, – the, the wealth has been generated. So it's not like this is the third generation within the family. It's just in the conversation around. Um, like Jamie's family, her father was a wealth generator, so she's in the second generation. Mm-hmm. But um, the third generation gets a lot of support, and there are a number of programs. Um, the second generation, um, th- which is often what we refer to as the sandwich generation, uh, and I like this analogy of the Oreo cookie, you know, where it's the one where the parents are getting older, and that's one cookie, and the kids are getting a little bit older, maybe getting ready to launch to college, that's the other cookie, and then the the parents in the middle, that second generation, are getting creamed because they're getting so much on both sides. And um, it's like a, 
it's almost like a lost generation. Jamie, you want to speak into that a little bit in terms of the resources available for the people who generate the wealth and then for the grandkids? Absolutely. Um, many of the quantitative programs or um, advisors are really gearing their conversation to, as Emily said, what we call M1 instead of G1, so the first generation of the money. They're the people that you think you have to talk to and do all the planning. And in the past, it's been very much um, the advisor and this first generation planning the future, not very collaborative. What they found is that in the second generation, um, about 90% of um, families chose to work with a different advisor because the advisor never spoke to them, only spoke to their parents. Um, and as Emily said, uh, because this field is growing, people in what's often spoken of as the next gen, um, sort of loosely between 18 and 35 years old, there are some fabulous programs that have developed to have a more open conversation amongst inheritors and to really have them work together and um, have fiduciary responsibility in their stewardship roles. And this middle generation has gotten a little bit lost. And it's interesting because, as uh, Jay Hughes points out so often, this is really that middle generation, the second generation, is really the most pivotal. Because in the first generation, when the money was made, the matriarch and patriarch can have a style of leadership that lead, follow me up the hill. You know, this is my month, our money, we made it. If you want to come along, our way or the highway, come along with us. That doesn't work once the matriarch and patriarch have died. It's very um, infrequent that siblings want to have, one of their siblings have that kind of leadership model, which is follow me up the hill. They want to work in a more collaborative way with one another. They don't want to put one person in charge and then be the followers. So they need to take on a completely different form of thinking about the family. And the family's also grown. With each generation, the family gets exponentially larger. There are more needs to fulfill. It gets more complex. So that second generation is a great um fulcrum point to really make sustainable change. And that's a place that we very much focus on in our work. Emily, uh, before we go much further in the conversation uh, about the generational piece, let's reintroduce the audience to your involvement in this work and how you you know, became connected with Jamie. Oh, happy to. I uh, So I have the social work degree that we talked about and um, became uh, known in the field in, with my expertise in blended families, step and blended family dynamics um, as a result of a lot of work and writing I'd done um, and starting a, a company for that particular uh, population. And then I was uh, brought on to a team uh, of, at a consulting firm working with ultra-high net worth families on transitioning wealth from one generation to the next, very specifically, and preparing the heirs. And Jamie uh, 
came onto that team as well, and I actually was one of the interviewers, and we hit it off immediately when I met her, and I trained Jamie in the role that um, I had been in in the company, and we worked together um, on a couple of families, and then when she was hired by Wells Fargo, we stayed in contact, and I contacted her again when I uh, got trained as a money coach and talked to her about that work specifically in, in relationship to inheritors and couples and families in bringing this whole phenomenon of um, understanding our patterns related to money with uh, money archetypes. And Jamie uh, became really interested in that and gave me uh, a platform from which to begin to bring that into the world. And then uh, we started discussing my coming on as a managing partner when she decided to um, explore moving to Israel to help serve uh, her husband and her family in terms of helping him follow his dream. So it was this wonderful flow of walking the talk of our work as we um, maintained our professional relationship and friendship and then just kept seeing how to further serve the uh, clients that we both were really passionate about. Talk about the um, the training as a money coach. Where did you get that training and, you know, how was it, what consist, did that training consist of? Oh, uh, thank you. It uh, was through the Money Coaching Institute uh, and an uh, author by the name of Deborah Price. I love that her last name is Price and she's <laughs> an authority on money. <laughs> And she's written a number of books, um, one of which is called Money Magic, and that book uh, goes into um, kind of the spiritual component of money and the psychological component of money and looking at money from uh, archetypal perspectives. And I became fascinated by that and uh, started doing research and looking at other models around that, and I liked her approach a lot. I found her to be very professional. She came from a financial advising background, and uh, she, her training is just first class, and she gives a lot of ongoing consultation and support as you get out in the field and work specifically with clients. So I was trained in working with individuals and couples and businesses. We're going to take a brief break right here. I need to just let our listeners know this is an extended conversation with Jamie Traeger and Traeger Mooney and Emily Bouchard from the Wealth Legacy Group. You're listening to Sylvia Global on sylviaglobal.com. I'm your host, Gail Sylvia. You can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, and we'd love to have your questions and feedback as well. This is an opening uh, conversation on an upcoming series over several months around wealth and that it's more than the money. There's so much more to wealth than the money. Um, again, Jamie Traeger Mooney and Emily Bouchard are with us this morning here on SylviaGlobal.com radio. Ladies, so you both, in your own separate paths, you you found one another and stayed connected, and now you're providing a service that helps bring the message of, you know, fill in the, the blank here, you know, it's for us that helps people with wealth and with money feel more comfortable in that relationship and so much more. How would you define your work and what our listeners can expect to gain from you over the next several months? Wow, that's a great question. I, it's so multifaceted. 
and I was you know I was just thinking about how when I was speaking about my start with the money coaching and the money archetypes there's a whole piece that Jamie brings to it with the family legacy retreats as well that um I think really ties in so much of what we're about which is anything we can do to support people in uh communicating effectively around their money around their wealth so that the emotional impact of it does not uh, stymie them or keep them from being as effective and productive and resourceful in their worlds as they would like to be, where their um, their access to wealth and assets and resources and the true wealth uh, augments their lives and they get to take full advantage of the blessings and minimize what you might call the curses of it. Jamie, how would you say it? I think you said it excellent in an excellent way. It's really to have a larger conversation. We spoke earlier about the taboos of money and wealth, and I think so often that we've elevated our culture to almost godlike status. We give it magical powers and imbue it with much more meaning than when you really think of money as a neutral form of barter. So it really isn't about money as an end goal. How much do I have? You know, what things do I have? But it's more about how can we use our wealth, our financial wealth, in service of wealth in a more global, more globally defined. Um, And in that sense, we mean in terms of self-worth, in terms of fulfillment, in terms of purpose and calling. How can we use our financial resources as a tool to help us reach the goals that we want to have? Because when you look at it, as you said so well, Gail Sylvia, it really isn't about what we do for ourselves. The the research shows that that's fairly empty. When we spend on ourselves, when we only think about our needs, that's fairly fleeting. But when we have more of a global perspective and think about how we can have impact on the world at large, then people start to get excited. Passion starts to get developed. Partnerships and collaborations start to happen. And that's the conversation that we really want to start, whether it's at a global level through Sylvia Global or on an individual level with clients in our office and everywhere in between. You know what, two areas that immediately come to mind as I listen to you, the two of you talk, is I'm so excited because your message and your work, along with your accessibility, allows a listener to understand that there's so much more to who they are that's affected by money and vice versa that money affects, regardless of the dollar amount in the bank. And so the purse and the location, you know, the, the back to that cultural, global, cross-cultural piece, that our relationship with growing money, earning money, and giving and giving money away is something that's set by an internal clock influenced by external factors. And we can earn it, we can grow it, we can be philanthropic with it only if we're at a healthy place. So it's not the number of zeros, you know, be, that that are represented in the bank. This has to happen, and this type of learning 
and conversation has to happen regardless of the amount. If it's fifty million or five dollars, that someone has to that we each are in a place to be able to overcome our fears associated with money. We're each in a place to overcome and address with the work of Jamie and Emily here on Sylvia Global, our taboos associated with money, um, our you know, our abuses um associated with money, our tightness, you know, or in a you know, whatever area that might constrict us um emotionally, um, relationship wise, or growing or giving it away, we're able to now find a healthy place with the two of you assisting us to move us forward and to really empower us. The other area that I'm so excited about, um, you know, us bringing forward to the audience and creating this global perspective is that it's never too late, you know, or, or too early to start, you know, to make the changes. We can start creating these wealth legacies, these healthy places of well-being associated with money with our kids and with ourselves and with our, you know, and as parents moving forward so that we can put into motion a healthy wealth legacy that goes on that's sustainable far beyond our lifetime and our immediate works. So that's um, just a, a very unique uh, approach to this whole conversation is what we're bringing forward. You know, Susie Ortsman is to Oprah um, and her her audience um, an incredible you know financial advisor. But this is a different dimension of you know money that is not often spoken of, and to hear it coming from the top down or the top out in terms of wealth. And look at, it forces all of us to look at what we already have in place instead of looking at what we're missing. You know, to work with, you're showing us and you're doing it this morning, you're beginning to put into place um, just the machinery to set it in motion, a way of looking at what we have that is good, that we can grow from instead of what we might be missing and lacking and being held back or fearful of. So we're going to take this second half of the conversation and, and expand on this. Um, any feedback to what I just said? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to jump into a series of questions. <laughs> I was just going to say we are so delighted to have this platform because in our experience when you set the proper context to have these conversations people are so excited to have them both Emily and I have led workshops um, and retreats where we haven't gotten past introductions because people are so delighted to finally be able to speak openly about their relationship with money and wealth and not to have to keep that part of themselves hidden. So we we are just very grateful to Sylvia Global to provide us with this opportunity to bring a global conversation. And we hope that the audience will be as excited and as willing to, per, to participate um, in this conversation. One of the questions that, because that, we are getting some calls and we do have some other questions from earlier conversations that I want to throw into the mix here. 
how do the conver- how does a mother um take responsibility for being a leader in changing these discussions within their family and with their children? What are some of the approaches that women and particularly mothers can take? That's such a great question and um I just love that a listener is really passionate about that and wanting to know more. Um, this is something that Jamie and I care a lot about, and it's um, we've cultivated conversations with this, like this in terms of um, Institute for Philanthropy, and I do a series with Wells Fargo's private bank on this very question. And I can tell you some of the key takeaways that we have seen is that um, women who feel really grounded in um, what is it that they want their family to stand for? What is it that they want the uh, choices that the family makes around money to speak into the greater conversation in the world makes all the difference. So, again, it's that question of, okay, if we're going to be making a decision about this and the advisor is saying that this is a good idea, how does this fit within the greater you know, context, the greater purpose of our family? What is it we want to communicate, not just to our kids that are going to be getting this or that they're going to be impacted by this, but for our grandchildren and their children and their children in terms of our legacy? And so we promote that by starting to look at the stories. What are the seminal stories, the idioms, the the phrases that uh, really ring true for these women as they think about what they want their children to really care about and um, their grandchildren to remember and and continue to draw upon as they're making decisions related to their money. Jamie? Absolutely. It, it really, again, is that more global conversation of how, you know, women are so uniquely positioned to have that conversation, being the relators and the keepers of the story. So looking at where in the past uh, the stories have been a certain way that unconsciously passed down a certain message that may or may not serve the family at this present point. Um, And to really to continue when those stories get to elucidate the values that the family has, and perhaps they can do it in a different way while still being true to that family value. So women are excellent at doing this, again, because of their more relational nature and their use of story and context. You use an example of the flow of true wealth, and it's um, the infinity symbol and accomplishments, you know, leadership, relationships, the spiritual and faith, um, intellectual. You know, Emily spoke to it earlier as well. Can you, you know, walk our listeners through on how that flow of true wealth actually begins with the leader, some leadership within the family, and let's take the mother as an example? Well, yeah, if you're going to look at it from the standpoint of that question, it's a great way to approach it. So uh, somebody's coming forward and saying, oh, I really want to have more of a flow in terms of how I'm leading, how I'm entering into this conversation around money, around our family's wealth in our lives. Okay, and so how am I modeling that? Where am I showing up 
in relationship to what matters most to me in my life and where are um, the people in my life seeing me feeling really abundant and flowing and wealthy and where am I maybe depleted? And that's always a great place to start. So for some women it might be that they aren't as happy with their weight. So that would be a physical component. And um, that's where we would start and look at, oh, What's your relationship to your body and your weight? Where? What's your relationship to food and exercise? What's your relationship to your body, short-term, long-term? And really opening up that conversation and bringing them resources that really matter to them. And not just from a quick fix or a diet perspective, but how does that conversation fit with the whole conversation? And then maybe they'll look at, oh, wow, you know, I'm really not flowing very well in terms of my relationship with money. When we get the bank statements, I don't even look at them. Okay, well, that would be a place to start. How can you start to build your competence and feeling of um, uh, enjoyment and flow in terms of your relationship with money so that um, your children are seeing that? Uh, I mean, one example is a mother I was working with who um, that she was really concerned about her children not seeing her work ethic because that was really important to her because she wasn't working anymore. Um, we talked about the subtle thing of her sitting down when the girls are doing, she had two daughters, uh, their math homework, that she would sit down with um, you know, her computer um, and a checkbook, and she would um, balance and make sure that she's checking the credit card statements in the checking account and that she's showing them application for math in her own life. Um, and they can see that that's part of her work is being a good steward of the money and wealth that she has. So that's just one simple example of how you would look at where am I not necessarily showing up as fully on this infinity symbol? Where is it kind of collapsed in or not quite as thick as I'd like it to be? And um, how can I start to have that flow more easily? Well, what is very exciting is that we will be able to post on the Sylvia Global website to these actual tools and tips um, for the listeners to take away and apply to their lives, along with contact information for both of you at the Wealth Legacy Group to make appointments for personal follow-up. Uh, I love that example of the mother take pulling out her computer and showing how she's actually applying similar principles in math around being a good steward of financial resources that the family has, and also the, just the very fact that she would be concerned about what type of message she's sending that relates to her own worth ethics, you know, and her values. Very, very valuable tips in terms of, you know, what we can do to change our behaviors and to relieve ourselves of some of the, the taboos or curses that would otherwise carry forward and we'd wonder how that happened, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are some hot topics that we've discussed, you know, before around wealth, um, well-being or being well. And um, I know under the wealth category, we talked about human capital, relationships, family, community, networks. You also included under, you know, in those conversations under wealth, intellectual capital and leadership and financial capital, financial sustainability. Can the two of you address these areas of wealth for our audience right now? Oh, great Absolutely. question. Jamie, you want to speak into Jay's work a little bit, where that comes from, and then maybe some things people can do to apply right away? Absolutely. 
And again, that I had mentioned Jay Hughes before, who was really a, a great mentor to us. He uh, started his career as a um, estate planning lawyer and really became a trusted advisor for families. And he really started this concept of um, that it was too reductionistic only to look at wealth as your financial resources. It really opened it up to what families have to offer. And in order to be flourishing families across countries, they need to attend to their human capital, their intellectual capital, and again, that their financial resources are just a part of it. So the human capital is exactly what you said, is how are what kind of relationships are people having? What are the strengths of the relationship? So many families that we work with um, want the the money to be a source of um, a gift to their family, a benefit to their family. They don't want their family to be in a situation that because of the money, they lose the re- relationships. But without having those conversations openly, that very often is what happens. You know, we've seen some really dramatic stories in the news over the years of families that just really um, their structure is demolished by infighting around money. So really looking at the, the human capital, what do families have to offer in their relationship? Then also looking at the intellectual capital, what can they bring? You know, very often when a generation starts found the wealth, they have a certain dream. And you can almost think about their dream for the next generation as that next generation person is within a yin-yang. They have to steward the first person's dream, carry on maybe the business that the earlier generation started, and at the same time, develop their own identity, their own sense of purpose and calling. So that's really part of the emotional capital that each person in a family brings to bear on the overall global success of the family, both their relationship, the knowledge and talent and expertise and drive and purpose and passion that they bring, and then using, again, the financial resources as a tool in service of that family's goal, the, the family's goals that they set up and come to consensus around. One of the the next topics that we are going to be discussing on our next um, conversation together will be in this area of being well and the health piece. And I'm really excited that you're going to be sharing some tips and takeaways around genograms and family dynamics. So as a closing statement for today's interview, can you talk to us about genograms and why those important why that's an important tool that you will be sharing with the audience in the upcoming segment? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to jump in with that, Emily. Is that okay? Please do, yes. Still be laughing because this is another place that I really um, get so passionate about. Genogram is very simply a graphic representation of a family. So it's a little bit like a family tree but it has some really key differences and it really um, builds out all the different dynamics that can be happening within a family. And as you said, one of those dynamics are the health dynamics that 
that happen amongst family members. And in every family, there are certain patterns that start to develop, certain themes, as Emily spoke about before, certain idioms and rules. And the genogram, if you think, you can see I like analogies, if you think of the analogy of an artichoke, the genogram allows us through getting the client's story to peel back the various layers and start to unravel and understand the patterns that have gotten passed down from generation to generation. Oftentimes when I'm done uh, working with a family on their genogram, they're so surprised. These are stories that they've known all along, but when they see graphically represented the repeated patterns of certain behavior or the impact of certain health incidents across generations, they're astounded. And again, it's like the hand of cards. By uncovering those patterns within a family, you look at your cards. You get to say, which cards do I choose to keep and which cards do I choose to discard and develop a different legacy for the future. So it's, it's a phenomenal tool, and um, we love to use it with families. This is very exciting. So this is where we will pick up on our next conversation here on Sylvia Global. Um, joining us again today has been Dr. Jamie Traeger-Mooney um, from Israel, founding principal of the Wealth Legacy Group, along with her partner and associate, Emily Bouchard, the managing partner of the Wealth Legacy Group. And we will spend the next few months redefining wealth, how to maximize the potential and the impacts, the emotional impacts of wealth on inheritors, women, and couples, and blended families. Jamie and Emily, thank you so much for being here with us today. Excited? Very, very, very excited. We're, we're on to something good, and I'm excited um, for our listeners to be able to have access to you and to get feedback directly from you about their issues around wealth and how to maximize their potential in redefining and reconnecting with their wealth. Wow, thank you. It's such a pleasure. And please keep those questions coming. It's such a delight to get to actually serve the people that you are here to make a difference in their lives for. It's really, really thrilling. Emily Bouchard in Northern California Mm, and Jamie in Israel. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. This is Gail Sylvia, your host. Again, you can follow us on Facebook, like us, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. You can also find this broadcast on iTunes as a podcast under Sylvia Global. Again, Emily Bouchard and Jamie Traeger-Mooney from the Wealth Legacy Group here on Sylvia Global. Have a wonderful day, ladies. You too. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.